Why don't you stand with us as we begin to worship? Church. For those who may not know me, my name is Carissa, and it is just so good to just be in God's presence this morning. Whether you are watching online or you are here in person, we are so excited that we can just join together and do that. So good to worship our God and to praise Him. This next song that we are going to sing is called Run to the Father, and we introduced it a, a number of weeks ago here, and I just want to encourage you all for things that you may be going through right now, hardships that you're facing. I just pray that this song, these next words that we're going to sing would really resonate with you and that you would be able to do that, that you would be able to surrender those things that you're facing and actually just run to him. 
So why don't you bow with me? We'll pray and then we'll sing that song next. God, we thank you for the opportunity to come together and to worship you, Lord God, and to sing our praises to you and hear from your word, Jesus. We love you, Lord, so much, and, and we don't take it for granted that we get to do this, God. I just pray for each and every person here and watching online, Lord God, that they would be open to hear from you this morning and open to just have their hearts ready for, for you to speak to them, Lord God. In your name we pray.
morning as a church we have the opportunity to celebrate and remember the blood that was poured and the body that was broken for you and for I. If you're here in person and didn't grab a communion emblem when you came in, uh, if you wanted to quickly grab one of those at the back. For those of you who are watching online, if you have a cup of water, cracker, some bread, something at home again, when we take the emblems of communion, 
They are not the actual body and blood of Christ, but they are a representation. And what we're going to participate together in as a church is a time of remembering the sacrifice that has been made. So as we do that, just an encouragement for parents with children this morning, we allow you to make that choice of knowing if your child's at that point where they're prepared to participate. If you're visiting with us and you're new with us, if you have a personal relationship with Jesus, then we encourage you to participate in this with us. In a moment, I'm going to lead us in taking these emblems together. But before we do, we're just going to have a few moments of quiet. The Apostle Paul encouraged and challenged us to evaluate our own hearts before Christ, before we participate in this. That there's a seriousness in, in partnering and being tied to the body and the blood of Jesus. So perhaps there's something in your life that you need to bring to the cross before we do. Do you have an area where you need to just bring confession to him? Something that you've struggled with? Maybe it's anger or bitterness that you're holding to someone else who's done something to you that you again need to bring to the cross and bring that anger to the cross again to find forgiveness and healing. We're just going to take a few moments just in quiet. If you wanted to, you could close your eyes just in as a way of and concentrating and listening to his heart of what he would say to you. And in just a moment, I'll lead us in taking these together. Apostle Paul gave these instructions to the church. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread, and he gave thanks to God for it, that he broke it in pieces and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. This morning we take the cracker representing the body of Christ together. In the same way, Jesus took a cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Church, let's take the cup this morning. Just a moment in your own words, just directly to him. Express your gratitude, your thanks for the gift of your salvation, of forgiveness, of the punishment that was rightfully yours and mine, that Christ took upon himself. Thank you, Lord, for your extravagant love, your amazing grace. Lord, thank you that the cross 
is not simply a moment trapped in the past, but the cross is alive and active today. That while we do this point of remembrance, it's also connecting us to the reality that the work of the cross is just as relevant and poignant today as when you hung on it. Many of us today come with heaviness. Some of us, it's physical infirmities that are just wearing us down. Health struggles that continue to perpetuate and we don't know what to do. We're going to bring those to the cross today. For the relationships that have been wearing on us, that are fringed. Lord, for the friendships that were once strong and now seem to be frayed. For those who would seem to be enemies and seem to want to work against us and cause stress and anxiety in our lives, we bring those relationships to the cross. God, where we have concerns and anxieties and worries, fear and anger, we come again to the cross. Lord, we lift our hands to you. Remind us that the cross is more than able. Today, as it's the annual day of the persecuted church, God, we want to remember those who are followers of Jesus around the world who suffer fierce persecution, threat of violence and death. Lord, whose livelihoods have been stolen, but who have been able to remain faithful, we pray that you would continue to give them strength. May they experience the presence of God where they are right now. As their brothers and sisters, we stand with them. God, we pray for your mercy. We pray for your grace. We pray for your justice and your truth. May we as your church stand up to speak truth in a world that is swayed, in a world that is constantly bombarded with lies and deception. May we be those who stand on the rock. Thank you that the cross offers hope to us and to our world. We pray that would be today. In Jesus' name. And if you agree, say amen. Amen. For those of you who are in person, you can be seated this morning. As you are kids, it is that time. You don't get to be seated because you have lots of energy still. Kids, you can head to the back. Your teachers are at the back door and they're excited to take you down today. Praying that you have a great encounter with God today and a fun time together. Uh, we have some announcements that are going to come on the screen in just a moment. But for those of you who are in person, uh, if you want to hold on to your communion cups at the end of the service, there will be garbages at the back door so that you can discard at them at that time. All right. Thank you. If you're exploring Egomont Church, welcome. We would love to answer any questions you may have and help you find a place of belonging here. To help us do that, please scan the QR code on the screen and a link will pop up that will allow you to share your contact information with us. You can also find that same link at eaglemont.info or if you're in person, you can find a connection card in the seat pocket in front of you, then you can drop that off uh, in the slot at the information kiosk on your way out. Thank you for giving us that opportunity to connect with you.
Thank you, church family, for your continued giving and support for Eaglemont. Uh, we just couldn't operate without you. Just things like keeping the lights on and paying our staff happens because of your generous giving and your worship to God. If you're able to give and want to partner with us and support your church, you can head to eaglemont.info to find the giving page. Thank you so much for your support. We recently shared our church ministry goals for this coming year at our prayer and vision nights. You can find this card at the back or you can go to eaglemont.info and click on the Eaglemont goals button to read what they are and then commit to join with your church family and engage in these simple and meaningful goals. There are some great opportunities here to experience growth in your relationship with Jesus as a result of these goals. This year has been a challenge for many in our community. And we want to invite you to participate in the Eaglemont Christmas Hamper program as we look to give loving support to many deserving families this Christmas. You can participate in two ways. You can make a contribution towards supporting a family, or you can nominate a family that you're aware of who could just use some help this Christmas. To nominate or donate, go to eaglemont.info and click on the Christmas Hampers button. Also, the Samaritan's Purse shoeboxes are available at the back to fill up for underprivileged children in our world. There's information at the back table about this, so you can check that out after today's gathering. Be sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram and subscribe to our Eaglemont Church YouTube channel. And also you can sign up and receive a weekly email newsletter by going to eaglemont.info. You can listen to our previous Eaglemont Sunday sermons on Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Thanks so much, church family. Have a great Sunday. Good morning, everyone. How are you guys doing? Perfect. That was like five people, which is pretty good. It is so good to be together this morning. Uh, I think what makes this day even better is the extra hour of sleep everyone but parents with young kids got. So yay to all of us that don't have tiny humans uh, because we actually got to enjoy it. So uh, as we get into this message... I need to start with being honest. This message is an extended version of a message that we did in our youth small groups a couple weeks ago. So yes, I am in fact reusing a message, but it took way more time than I thought it would, if it makes you feel better. And it's something that it's pretty easy to see it in teenagers and in those early teen years, but it really touches on something that we can fall into pretty easy if we're not careful as adults. And that is playing favorites. So today we're going to talk about the difference between having favorites and playing favorites because it obviously was important enough to God for him to title a chapter in James after it and make numerous mentions in the Bible towards it. So while we're on the topic of youth sermons, I want to play a little game. So the title of the series that we were doing that this message fell into was Rad and it centered on the word radical and how that's what God's love is towards us. But you can't say rad without thinking about the 90s. So, uh, okay, I was born in the middle of the 90s, so I don't have a real understanding of it. And the only thing I remember is baby photos that I always ask my mom, why did people wear that? Uh, but I still want to talk about that classic 90s style and mention my ever-growing concern that teenagers today are wearing the exact same thing with no idea of what they're doing. So I want to do a little bit of an exercise this morning. If you're at home, put in the comments if you, which one you are. So how it's going to go is I want you to raise your hand if you wore it in the 90s. And if you weren't born until long after the 90s, I want you to raise your hand if you wear it today. And we're going to see how much overlap there really is here. So the first one is neon. 
how many people wore like a full neon outfit? Oh, Natanya, I saw that hand. <laughs> yes, that has come back. I miss the good old days when everybody would just wear all black and it was fine. But now we're doing neon. Those like, I don't know what kind of pants they're actually called, the like parachute pants, the like MC Hammer pants. Did anyone actually wear those? Oh, there's a few hands. That's incredible. <laughs> this is my favorite Sunday. Um, the next one, bucket hats. Those have come back. I don't know why, but they are. Um, the tinted glasses. The picture I wanted to show was like Justin Timberlake in an all denim outfit with tinted glasses, but those have come back. Um, fanny packs. This is a Pastor Brennan special. He has been rocking that long before it was cool again. Uh, so I'm going to give him props for that. Maybe he started that trend of bringing it back, which that's bad. So that's on you, Pastor Brennan. Uh, the windbreaker outfits. I was cleaning the basement the other day. I have one of these in there. I don't know who it belonged to, but I'm going to blame my mother. That's pretty bad. Overalls. This came back. <laughs> I, look it, we don't live on a farm. If you do, you're allowed to wear them. If you live in Beaumont, Alberta, you can't wear overalls, okay? What farm work are you doing that you need the extra pockets? Like, if you don't deal with hay, take them off. And the last one, oh no, I have two more, I lied. Um, you know the snap bracelets? Yeah, if those come back, that means Jesus is right around the corner. Um, and then the last one, visors, like not on the golf course, not ironically, kids are just wearing them because they think they're cool. It really freaks me out. I don't get it. But it just shows that everything comes back around. Um, these were some of the favorite looks from the 90s from what I can tell by my old family photos, but everybody thought they were rad and cool. So that's all for 90s. Let's get back to favorites and favoritism. If we're really honest with ourselves, it feels really good when you're the favorite, but pretty awful when someone else is being shown favoritism. So what is favoritism? It's when you give someone else special treatment unfairly at the expense of someone else. So I did a little bit of look into what the actual dangers of favoritism are, and in children they say the biggest long-term dangers of favoritism are depression, anxiety, unstable or even traumatic reactions in personal relationships, performance anxiety for both the favored and the non-favored, and also over time it can cause self-esteem issues and feelings of rejection. So it's pretty serious. But please hear me before we get into this. It's okay to have favorite people. My mom had a favorite child. It was my brother, but I turned out fine. So it's okay to have favorite people. It's actually how, I can hear her laughing. It's how we make healthy connections and deep intimate connections with other people. You can't be best friends with every single person. You need those few close relationships. So it's totally okay to have favorite people. But favoritism or the act of playing favorites excludes people, it's unfair, it hurts others, and it raises ourselves far above others while making our pride soar. So we're looking at the Bible for practical advice on this and how the world will change with God's radical love. And that would put us right in the book of James. So here's a quick few facts about James if that's new to you. So this book is a letter written by a guy named James who was actually Jesus' brother. So I mentioned my mom liking my brother more already. 
But could you imagine growing up with Jesus as your brother? I wonder if James ever felt like Jesus was his parents' favorite kid, because I feel like it'd be pretty hard not to think that at least once. But because James knew Jesus so well, the letter that he wrote is packed with summaries of Jesus' teachings, retold in James's own words. James is known for the straightforward instructions for how to follow Jesus. So these teachings might seem simple, but they have the power to create radical change. And as simple as they are, I often find myself being totally challenged when I read the book of James, because he pretty much calls out all the things I do wrong. But the title of James 2 in the NIV translation of the Bible is Favoritism Forbidden. So I'm going to read the first 10 verses. My brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes to your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has God not chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as a lawbreaker. For whoever keeps the whole law and yet stumbles at just one point of it is guilty of breaking all of it. Now, I mentioned before that James was straightforward and I wasn't joking. Favoritism breaks the law of Jesus and God's love. The law of God and the cross of Christ are the great levelers of all human beings. And it's not just James who says it. We see it throughout the New Testament. So Colossians 3.11 says, Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Another translation for favoritism might just be discrimination, but the literal Greek word is the lifting up of someone's face. So what this means is judging someone by their external appearance, by their face, by their position, by the clothing that they wear, their wealth and social status, their political views, their past history, judging someone because they don't align with the same things you do. In this passage, James has a lot to say about rich people and poor people, but that's not the only favoritism, and we all know that. If you're really honest with yourself, I'm sure you can find something to replace rich and poor in this verse with that you yourself have fallen into. I'm not saying it was purposeful or malicious when you did it. It might have even been a total accident. Maybe it was you really believed you were right and the other person couldn't see it, and so you just kind of started playing favorites. Maybe it was that group of coworkers that you just couldn't understand why they made the same choice every weekend, and you started to think that you obviously have more favor with God than they do. Or it could be someone who's struggling in their faith, and without consciously thinking about it, you start to think you obviously have a bigger place in heaven than them. But our world loves to do this. Our world loves to be superior, to be right, to look at someone else and know that we're better than them. But here's the whole truth of what I'm going to be saying for the rest of this message. And that is, God died for each and every one of us with no favoritism. And he doesn't divide us over things that don't matter in his kingdom. And if James can be straightforward, then so can I this morning. 
If he isn't dividing us and playing favorites, then who are we to do it? Where do we start believing that we know better who will inherit the kingdom and who is worth God's mercy than God himself? Jesus couldn't care less what someone's socioeconomic status was or their political power. It didn't mean anything to him. He had literally no fear of man at all. He treated everyone the same, independent of their rank or status, whether they were a Jew or a Gentile, male, female, it just didn't matter to him. What mattered to him was the people who came to him humble. If you came to Jesus humble, no matter if you were a spiritual beggar or not, he dealt with you that way. It didn't matter whether you were an outcast leper, a rich young ruler, uh, an immoral prostitute, a member of the Jewish ruling council, you were a Roman guard in charge of a hundred other soldiers, or a Samaritan woman getting water from the well in the heat of the day. Everyone was dealt with the same. And that is, Jesus asked, do you recognize your own sinfulness? Are you a spiritual beggar? And if you answered yes to those, he would deal with you kindly and lovingly. He wasn't interested with the things of this world because he knew that at the end of the day, none of them mean anything. He knew where we were all headed without him. And he knew where all of this was going. He knew that every single human being would someday stand before him in judgment, stripped of all of the earthly titles, and we would be left with only our heart and who that says we are. Our titles and statuses that we love to adorn here on earth is like the same as wearing a costume. We're like kids doing dress up. It's not who we really are, and it's all going to be stripped off at the end of the day. Our accomplishments, our promotions, our Facebook profile, our bank accounts, it's all a false sense of superiority, and it can't go with us. At the end of the day, it's only us standing before God as who he has said we are. So going back to favoritism, let's look at the Old Testament uh, in the book of Proverbs. So Proverbs is a collection of short sayings that share wisdom about how followers of God should live. So I'm going to be reading from Proverbs 22. I'm going to do verse 1 and 2, 8 and 9, and then 22 and 23. A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed is better than silver or gold. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. Whoever sows injustice reaps calamity, and the rod they wield in fury will be broken. The, generation, the generous will themselves be blessed, for they share their food with the poor. Do not exploit the poor because they are poor, and do not crush the needy in court. For the Lord will take up their case and will exact life for life. If God is the creator of everyone, rich and poor, popular, unpopular, powerful, not powerful, whatever you want to call it, it's safe to say that God doesn't play favorites. And as God's creation, we are all loved equally, no matter what. But it's really clear that God notices when certain people are in more need than others. We might all be loved equally by God, but God knows we're not all given the same equal treatment by others or equal opportunities within this world. So God seems to understand our tendency to show favoritism to the people that we already like or admire. But we need to be reminded to care for people who aren't like us, who aren't as easy to love or don't really help us up our social status. There are key similarities in this proverb and James's advice. James said that playing favorites broke God's law, but this proverb helps us understand more about what he means. This passage in Proverbs helps us see that showing favoritism is actually injustice. And injustice has dangerous consequences, as the Bible tells us over and over again. If we play favorites by excluding or harming others, God will stand against us and defend the people that we have harmed. 
And that's pretty scary. God doesn't play favorites, but he explicitly tells us that those least like us are who we need to love the most to not fall into this pattern. If you are like me and you need data to back all that up, here we go. We're going to hit a lot of verses really quick. So Psalm 62.9 says, Low-born men are but a breath, the high-born are but a lie. In other words, there is no difference between them to God. Together they are only a breath. If weighed on a balanced scale, they're nothing. God, again and again, as we're told in Scripture, does not show favoritism. If we look in Romans, Romans 2, 9 to 11, there will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first the Jew, then for the Gentile, for God does not show favoritism. Again, Ephesians 6, 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and there is no favoritism with him. In other words, on Judgment Day, it's not going to matter if you're the master or the slave here on earth. You are going to be his human being that he created. And God is going to evaluate you based on who you were, based on your faith, and whether at the end of the day you showed mercy to others. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-29. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose lowly things of the world and despised things, the things that are not, to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. That's really powerful, isn't it? When God was choosing his heavenly baseball team, who did he want? The worst players, which is great news for my athletic abilities. He didn't want the best of the players. He wanted the worst. Now, praise God, it doesn't say not any of you were wise, not any of you were influential, because there's a big difference between not many and not any. There are some, but all over the world, the ranks of Christian churches are filled with people that nobody wanted, people that nobody was attracted to, but that God wanted. It says in 1 John 5, 4, Everyone born of God overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Paul said in Romans 13, whatever horizontal commandments there may be, whether it's uh, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, whatever commandments there may be are summed up in this one law. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to its neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. That's what James is quoting here. Favoritism violates the law of love. It violates the second greatest commandment, which is love your neighbor as yourself. But it doesn't stop there. There's a whole bunch more verses. Proverbs 3, 27 to 28. Do not withhold good from those whom it is due when it is in your power to act. Do not say to your neighbor, come back tomorrow and I'll give it to you when you already have it with you. Proverbs 28, 27. Those who, give power, those who give to the poor will lack nothing, but those who close their eyes to them receive many curses. Isaiah 58, 6. Is this not the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Isaiah, yeah, Isaiah 58. Deuteronomy 15. If anyone is poor among your fellow Israelites in any of the towns, in the land the Lord your God is giving you, do not be hard-hearted or tight-fisted towards them. Rather, be open-handed and freely lend them whatever they need. 
again in Deuteronomy 15, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Because of this, the Lord your God will bless you in all your work and in everything you put your hand to. There will always be poor people in the land. Therefore, I command you to be open-hearted towards your fellow Israelites who are poor and needy in the land. God says again and again throughout his word that favoritism is against his law and that we are in no place to play favorites because he never does. There is one verse specifically that comes to mind when I read about favoritism in the Bible, and that would be Romans 8, 35 to 39. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the grace that is offered to each and every one of us. A grace and mercy that nothing in this world can separate us from. Here's the thing with favoritism that really gets me. It cheapens the grace of God. It places God's grace on a level where we think we can choose who receives it and who we don't feel has earned it enough in our eyes. If you look at the cross and you feel that you are worthy enough to choose who is deserving of grace and who isn't, then God's grace costs less to you than your own righteousness. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a famous theologian, wrote a book titled The Cost of Discipleship. And I want to read a little bit of what he wrote about cheap grace. He wrote, Cheap grace means grace sold on the market like cheap jacks wares. The sacraments, the forgiveness of sin, and the consolations of religion are thrown away at cut prices. Cheap grace is the preaching of forgiveness without requiring repentance. Baptism without church discipline, communion without confession, absolution without personal confession, Cheap grace is grace without discipleship, grace without the cross, grace without Jesus Christ, living and incarnate. Costly grace, however, that is the treasure hidden in the field. For the sake of it, a man will go and sell all that he has. It is the kingly rule of Christ for those whose sake a man will pluck out the eye, which causes him to stumble. It is the call of Jesus Christ at which the disciple leaves his nets, and follows him. Costly grace is the gospel which must be sought again and again, the gift which must be asked for, the door at which a man must knock. This grace is costly because it calls us to follow. It is grace because it calls us to follow Jesus Christ. It's costly because it costs a man his life, and it's grace because it gives a man the only true life. It is costly because it condemns sin and grace because it justifies the sinner. Above all, it is costly because it costs God the life of his son. Ye were bought at a price, and what has cost God so much cannot be cheap for us. Above all, it is grace because God did not reckon his son too dear a price to pay for our life, but delivered him up for us. Costly grace is the incarnation of God. So the love we are given came at a cost that we will never truly understand. And it was given to every single person on this earth 
with no exceptions. When Jesus Christ comes in his glory and all the angels are with him, he's going to sit on his throne in heavenly glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep and goats. And church, their socioeconomic status is not going to mean anything. Their political views are not going to mean anything. Nothing is going to really matter except for God. Because God has not and will not play favorites on things that don't matter to his kingdom. And if God has no favoritism towards us, then we have no place to bring that on others. We've talked a lot today about how Jesus calls us to treat each other, but maybe you need to hear the reverse of that message. Rather than being the person who excludes or ignores others, maybe you're the one that feels that you are being excluded or ignored by the church and by God. If that's you, I want to tell you something that is so incredibly important for you to hear today. And that is God loves you and he doesn't play favorites. Even when people do. And be reminded that his grace is not cheap, but it was so costly, but it was worth it for you and you alone. So on days that you feel that you are not anyone's favorite, I want you to know that you're God's favorite. You are deeply loved, cared for, and defended by your creator. And as Jesus followers in this body, we are going to try and love you like that too. Because God doesn't have any favorites, or he doesn't play any favorites, but we are all his favorite. So as we close, I want to just close in a time of prayer for both sides of this. For uh, the hearts in this room that maybe play favorites more than we like to admit. And for those that feel that they have been not chosen as a favorite, because you are by God. So if you'll just bow your head and close your eyes. God, we thank you for the, for the price of grace. We thank you that you looked at us in our sin, in our brokenness, in just our dirty selves, and you thought you are worth everything to me. And God, I pray that you change our hearts to see every person just like you see us. Not as someone that isn't good enough, someone that we don't like, someone that we don't want to spend time with, someone that just doesn't measure up to the standard that we've set. But God, people that have been created, defended, and redeemed by you alone. So God, I pray that our hearts are turned to that. That we are more in tune with who you are and who you see people as, and not our own looks on people. And God, for those who feel that, that the church has played favorites, and that they haven't measured up into that category, God, remind them today how much you love them. Remind them that the cross was not just because everyone needed it, but you would have done it for them alone because they are so important to you. You say again and again in your word that they are so valuable, they are so meaningful that you have chosen them specifically. And so, God, I just thank you that you don't play favorites with us. And I thank you that your costly grace is unfailing and endless. So God, we just, we thank you, we love you, amen. Um, we, I'm trying to see, but it's really bright up here. Um, oh yeah, perfect, okay. Uh, we just want to, as we close today, honor um, our current intern. So Peyton, if you want to come up here. Um, Peyton started with us in August. Next Sunday is her last Sunday, but she'll be downstairs. 
So we just wanted to take some time and pray over her and thank her publicly for all that she's done. She's been incredible with our children's ministry team, helping with this transition of Pastor Crystal going on maternity leave and Pastor Charity stepping in. And yeah, we just, we're so grateful. Peyton runs a mean game of four corners. So we just want to publicly thank her for that because I'm not fun. So uh, if you guys want to just bow with me and we're going to pray over Peyton. So God, we just thank you so much for Peyton. We thank you that um, you've called her to this place for a specific reason and at this specific time. And God, she's been such a blessing to this church. So God, as she finishes up her um, internship here, we just pray that you bless her in whatever the next step is. Wherever you're going to lead her next, we know that you are going to do just incredible things through her. And God, we're just so grateful for that. So yeah, we just pray that you um, continue to pour out your blessings, give her strength to finish well in these next two weeks. And God, we just, yeah, we thank you for who she is and all that you have gifted her with. So God, we say thank you for her today. And as a church, we say amen. Awesome. Well, yeah, give it up for Peyton. She's seriously crushed it. She's done so great. Um, and if Pastor Crystal were here, she would be saying the exact same thing, but probably more eloquently. So we have some time for um, coffee at the back. As we close today, please spend some time talking to someone new. I just scolded you about favoritism for like 25 minutes. So this is your chance to prove to me you listened. So find someone new, have a conversation with someone that maybe you traditionally wouldn't have. And a reminder, if you brought a kid, take a kid. Um, go grab them at 1120. As Joel and I always say, we, uh, whoever, whatever kid you take is your deal. But, like, just take the same number of them. Um, if you want a new one, pick a new one. If you like the one you came with, keep it. It's fine. Whatever you so feel. But um, please enjoy your Sunday. Chairs do not need to come down. They can stay up. And have a really great Sunday. <laughs>